0: What's up, everyone? Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Frary and Smith podcast. It's Tuesday, February 20th, and today it's episode 183 of the show. And as we promised you for the last couple of weeks, we've been planning on a mailbag, but things just keep popping up. The latest thing that popped up was a change in head coaches at Georgia State. And so we decided uh, to extend our trending topic series to discuss the off-season coaching carousel. In the conference. But Kane, before we get into that episode, I heard you had a, a great weekend in Nashville as you get set to uh, make a big move.
1: Yeah, definitely a great weekend moving to Nashville next month around that time period. So looked at some apartments with a roommate last weekend and, and had a great time for sure. I'm definitely excited to be in that city and Continue doing this and and other podcasting stuff. That's the the beauty of this industry now, and and with podcasting, you can do it wherever. So, definitely excited to be in a new city, but continue to do this podcast and other stuff as well in the sports media world.
0: Yeah, definitely excited. I know I had a a good week down in uh, New Orleans, got to call the first televised Sunbelt Women's Swimming and Diving Championship, and it's a little surprise, James Madison won another conference title. They seem to be uh, racking them up here in the Sunbelt, but uh, before we get to today's show I want to tell our listeners uh, about our show from last Thursday we're in the midst of a trending topic series discussing some you know key topics affecting the sun belt and at the at that point we plan to wrap up with a discussion about the calendar obviously things have gotten extended but uh, we talked about early signing day the transfer portal we even discussed the possibility of a future uh, rivalry week in the conference we looked at would it be feasible to have a neutral site championship so a lot packed into that episode. We definitely uh, suggest going back and giving it a listen. But today, Caden, as I've mentioned, obviously there is a lot going on in terms of coaching turnover in the conference. We saw Sean Elliott leave Georgia State. We've now seen Brian Ellis leave as the offensive coordinator at Georgia Southern to go to Alabama, where he's going to be the, the new tight end coach there. So a lot of turnover in the conference, and we want to take a moment just to discuss uh, all the changes that we've seen. We're going to bring 24-7 Sports' Ben Moore on the show in just a few moments to discuss the change specifically at Georgia State. So excited to get into that conversation in a moment. But, Kato, we have seen a ton of movement in the conference this year, particularly at the head coaching position. 40% of the league's coaches, 5 out of the 14, will not be here heading into 2024. What do you make of all the turnover that we're currently seeing in the head coaching position at the Sunbelt level?
1: Yeah, it's just a reflection of the times. I think this whole series has kind of documented a lot of the changes of college football. And one of the residual effects of those changes has been clear at the head coaching position across college football and specifically impacting the Sunbelt Conference. I mean, when you look above the Sunbelt this offseason, you've seen retirements, you've seen coaches go to the NFL, you've seen head coaches come to become coordinators. It's, it's, It's madness at the top level and that's trickled down to the sunbelt. And I think it's just a direct reflection of what we've seen lately, even in the last couple of hours, as far as this conference, the coaches continuing to move and be mobile and trying to figure out what their future looks like, whether it's in this conference or out of the conference. So just a reflection, I think of these times in college football, this is definitely a memorable off season as far as everything that's going on off the field. And I think once all the dust is settled, hopefully there'll be a little bit less of movement going forward in this conference and beyond in college football in this new era that we now see
0: yeah, we spent Thursday talking about how the calendar never seems to end. And I think this offseason is uh, a perfect culmination of that discussion. Uh, still hiring coaches here in the mid to late uh, part of February, I think, is is wild. But we promised you a conversation uh, with Twenty Four Sevens Ben Moore. Uh, let's get to today's conversation. Well, we are excited to be joined now by Ben Moore. Ben, you're, uh, you feel a little bit like the Lincoln lawyer right now working out of your car in the midst of uh, it's. what's been a busy couple of days in terms of news about the Georgia State football program.
2: Yeah, there's no question. Uh, certainly unexpected news nationally and regionally, um, but folks close to the program um, weren't necessarily shocked overall with Sean Elliott leaving to, to return back to his home state. And and a and a, uh, a place that he he and his wife and and kids uh, have called home, uh, going back to to Columbia, South Carolina. Certainly, the timing of it may be a little surprising for sure. Um, but yeah, uh, George State football is looking for a new head coach for the first time since December 2016. So a uh, lot lot to talk about. I know we're going to get into it. But uh, yeah, a lot of Sunbelt turnover, and George State's just the latest.
0: Well, let's talk about it because Coach Elliott obviously was the, the longest tenured Sunbelt head coach at this point after after seven seasons. Uh, you mentioned that it wasn't much of a surprise and it kind of started to feel a little bit expected at some point. Just talk us through why you believe this decision was made and particularly the timing behind it.
2: Certainly. what yeah. wasn't was so much a secret and it kind of continued to get a little bit louder really in the last two or three years. Um, head coach Sean Elliott's wife, Um And kids did not live in Atlanta. They did not make the trip uh, from Columbia, South Carolina after uh, he left the University of South Carolina to take the head coaching job. They certainly were staples at Center Park Stadium, downtown Atlanta, uh, came down for practices and, and times that way. But uh, as, as a family man myself who has a high schooler, uh, I couldn't imagine, you know, being away from my wife and kids and, and obviously the stress and and life that, that we know is, is college football and being a head football coach. Um, but I know that was taking a toll on him. Uh, he kind of broke down a little bit at a press conference in 2022 talking about missing um his daughter's uh, state championship uh cheerleading routine basically there and, and not being able to celebrate with his daughter live and in person uh, because he was working there uh and, and had a game uh, uh there and and uh, going back to to the fall um you know his son has had his first varsity appearance at ac flora high school and uh, Sean Elliott basically skipped out on an open practice for students and fans, and and uh, that, that kind of raised some eyebrows, and then a few weeks later, the Columbia Star comes out and says, hey, Sean Elliott has been in every single uh, football game uh, for his son, and that was even more kind of curious because ultimately, you know, he's traveling or not traveling with the team when they go on the road. Um, he's not you know, working with the team that way. So when exactly is he working on it? Uh, you know, all's good when life's you know, life's good when you're winning, right? So the team sprinted out to a six and one um, you know, start and then the collapse happened, right? Five straight losses and certainly just absolutely awful loss uh there at Old Dominion, you know, double digit lead just completely blown apart and the way that team lost. Uh, but then they woke up, you know, three and a half, four weeks later went out to Boise, Idaho, and just thumped the crap out of Utah State and uh, old friend Blake Anderson. So I think it it was an interesting offseason. And just the the tenor around the program, I know for a fact that the transfer portal and losing some of his best players and some of his impact players weighed on him, Uh, talked to some folks close to him and members and even former members of his staff. I mean, you lose 11 players to power five teams the last two offseasons. That wears on you. Um, you know, I, I've I've heard ter- you know terms amongst a group of five coaches where they feel helpless from you know tampering that we just know happens for good players. You, know, you recruit, develop these players, and then ultimately you get them to a point where they're kind of hitting their prime and pop, they're gone. They're they're gone. Whether it's nil promises or actual nil money, um, you know, Marcus Carroll, one of the leading you know rushers in the Sun Belt and in the nation. He skips out in the bowl game, and he commits to Missouri on his, on his you know, first weekend. You have Robert Lewis jumps in the portal and pops to Auburn. Montavious Cunningham, the right tackle, goes to Virginia Tech. So ultimately, Georgia State was not able to, to retain that talent, but I thought at least this offseason he had gone into the portal and done something he really haven't hasn't done and stepped out of his comfort zone, grabbed some guys that were from the metro Atlanta area that maybe he missed in on the first time around at a high school now went back into the portal, and they wanted to finish up their career and come home, gone to places like Kentucky and Louisville, uh, where he had seen success in 2023 as well, grabbing, you know, Henry Bryant on the defensive line. So, you know, there's the portal swings both ways, for sure, and it looked like Sean Elliott at least had kind of a, you know, his staff had done a great job acquiring some talent, but ultimately, it, it sounded like the dam broke a little bit with him and his family, and, and he even mentioned it in the press release, saying that, Ultimately, he knew this potentially was going to be a step back for him professionally, but personally, this was the right decision for him at this time.
1: Definitely appreciate that perspective, Ben. It's just nice hearing about that kind of behind-the-scenes workings and how some of the writing might have been on the wall for him, making an exit and also knowing kind of the, the space that college coaches and the position that college coaches are in with some of the struggles at the group of five level and especially at the Sun Belt with the transfer portal and some of the other changes that we've seen across college football. But you mentioned it. This is a guy who's been around for nearly half of this program's Tenure as a football program, he's led y'all to four bowl wins. He's beaten Tennessee in an upset win, and has really done a great part in changing and shifting the culture of this program. Could you maybe talk about that and how he'll be remembered positively in Atlanta for what he's done in the last seven years?
2: Yeah, no question. I think you start positive, okay, and that's a great way to put it. You know, he, he you know, ultimately forty-one wins in seven years. Um, there's some programs that that say, hey, maybe that may not be good enough. Just to kind of give you guys some perspective, when he took the program over, Bill Curry coached for three seasons and won a total of 10 games. Trent Miles coached for the better part of four years and won 10 total games. So when he came in, um, you know, he established really a toughness, talked about from the very beginning that this program was going to run the football and be a tough, beat you up kind of team um, and, and really establish an identity. Uh, Sean Elliott did that. He was a fiery competitor, certainly most famously. You know, you see him going up and down and, and, and you know, kind of shoving his, shoving his players and, and pushing and, and kind of a playful manner, pregame, getting guys fired up, and and uh, ultimately, I think the things that he has built from the, the the lack of a foundation, if you will, back in 13, 14, 15, 16, there is a firm foundation right now for the next coach to build upon, and that's a huge credit to Sean Elliott and his staff. Um, his coaching tree certainly is all around the Power Five right now. Uh, he lost five assistant coaches in one fell cycle uh, to Power Five teams uh, two, three years ago. Lost his OC to uh, to Louisville, and now he's at Cincinnati uh, this year. Uh, lost another, you know, defensive back to Georgia Tech. So, obviously, there was some success there. Uh, I think he averaged around about five, 5.8 or, or almost six, six wins a season in his tenure there with those 41 wins. So, ultimately, he proved a few things. For, for the future coaches and folks that are interested in this position is you can win here. Uh, there is a facility here. There is administration to support uh, building and growing, um, you know, a football program that still is in its relative infancy and has only been FBS since 2013. So you're, you're talking about basically year 15 in total for the program uh, Let led it to, you know, successes that it had never had before. And now really it's just uh, having the next coach, whoever that may be, grab the baton and really pick it up and run with it
0: well ben and i think to your point and as the songwriter uh, once wrote you know the past is in the past at this point and, and you started to go down that path talking about what makes this job at georgia state attractive what are some of those things that might attract uh you know a, a perhaps a, a top assistant at the, the power five level to want to come to georgia state and build this program into uh the future
2: yeah, I think there's a couple different buckets you can look at it here. Ultimately, can you win, as I mentioned before, uh, are there facilities that are that are Division One or FBS quality? And you, you check that box as well. You have administrative support. You know, the president, athletic director, very supportive, ultimately, uh, you know, with the football program and growing the football program, you know, in a variety of different ways. And the other side is, can you recruit? Two, you, know, you recruit the area. Uh, the, the metro Atlanta area in the state of Georgia produces a tremendous and a wealth amount of talent. You just look up every college football roster and even NFL roster. You have Georgia ties and kids that are from there. Um, ultimately, too, even with the transfer portal, as it swings out, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, it can come back as well, too, where you miss guys that, that maybe you're in on, out of high school to go to a bigger program, don't play. You have the ability to bring them back. Uh, Certainly on the basketball side, you saw Ron Hunter do that for four, five, six years and have wild success in basketball. You can absolutely do that in football as well. Um, You know, the biggest thing ultimately, uh, Sean struggled and his staff struggled to grab Metro Atlanta talent, to be Mm -hmm. candid. Um, Georgia Georgia kids a lot of times looked and and maybe weren't engaged or weren't engaged enough in, in their view, talking to high school coaches every Friday night as I did, that, that, you know, Georgia State, hey, they they would go and run to South Carolina and grab kids because that's where Sean was from, or some of his assistant coaches had relationships there, or going to the state of Alabama or going down to Florida, which, you know, again, isn't bad, but ultimately, you're a downtown Atlanta program. You have to go and make your hay, uh, especially over half your roster when it's not from the state of Georgia there's a lot of folks that perception becomes reality. So I think that's the humongous opportunity here where ultimately there's a lot of things in place that were not in place when Sean got here that he's kind of established and and created or corrected. Um I think you know it's it's a humongous opportunity for whether as you mentioned a power five assistant, power five coordinators that have been uh, interested in this job or hey, a successful FCS head coach may look at it and say I've worked with duct tape and, and razor wire over here. Basically, I can build in the Sunbelt uh, where, you know, Sunbelt programs are getting $2 million a year with their football contracts. So ultimately, there's an opportunity to build. And, and, and I think, again, Sean left it better than, than what it is. And, and I think there is a multitude from conversations that I've had. Candidates are very interested in this position. And uh, whether they're from the state of Georgia or have ties to the state of Georgia, uh, they, they want to come here and, and they want to jump in because they also see an opportunity, right? You succeed at the Sunbelt level. Two, three years, you can launch yourself, as we've seen, uh, to power five opportunities and, and truly life-changing money.
1: As a former Georgia football player at the high school level, I agree with a lot of what you said there, Ben. But I think overall, it's going to be fascinating to see who takes over the helm of this program because, of, like you mentioned, there's a strong recruiting base there. I think Atlanta in the future of NIL is going to have a lot of opportunities for student-athletes as well. And then, of course, there's the coach. Head- coach that's going to come in that's going to have to make the program a little bit more attractive as far as fan engagement and support so I think it's going to be interesting to see who can maybe take this program to the next step after what Sean Elliott was able to do but we talk about head coaching candidates we know some people have interviewed for this job already what maybe profile or traits are you looking for as far as the next head coach of Georgia State whether that's experience the background like you mentioned maybe FCS coach or coordinator what do you think would be the best and ideal fit for this program moving forward?
2: Yeah, I think just ultimately somebody that's going to be relentless recruiting. Um, you, you know, Georgia State has a unique profile being downtown Atlanta, but also has obstacles that you have to overcome as well, right? Um, you know, it's it's a super crowded landscape between, you know, you have, again, a uh, two-time national champion up there in Georgia grabbing some attention. Uh, I can't tell you how many folks, Georgia State alums, who have season tickets to Georgia Tech or Georgia State or or maybe, you know, Falcon season ticket holders. So they're, they're going to wait out and hold their money for, you know, for Sundays instead of Saturdays. Um, or even Atlanta United, you know, Soccer is, is big in Atlanta as well. Um, I've talked to folks who have skipped Georgia, who have been Georgia State season ticket holders and said, you know what, I'm going to go to Atlanta United, United match because, hey, we're playing ULM or Southern Miss or somebody that way. Um, it's It's really trying to win at such a high level. So you have to find somebody that has a successful plan and, or has come from a successful pedigree, right? Someone that knows how to say, Hey, I can build, um, you know, what that program over there did. Um, I, I look at a guy like Brian McClendon his name's out there publicly several times, guy that interviewed for the job was a finalist. It, you know, that Sean Elliott got the job in 2016. From that point, he went to South Carolina was the OC there under Muschamp went to Oregon for Mario Cristobal went to Miami again with Mario Cristobal and then has been at Georgia the last two and a half years. Um, Ultimately, guys like that, Del McGee, guy that has been at Georgia, coaching the Sunbelt with Georgia Southern, was a super successful high school coach as well, that is not afraid to kind of dig in and really find the guys that are that next level down. You're not going to go and go get the four star and five star guys on the Sunbelt. It's just, I mean, I, we would cover recruiting long enough. It's just not going to happen. Ultimately, you got to find that next tier and find those guys and stay on their radar so they're not going to an AAC school. Or a conference USA school or a Mac school, or being able to develop those guys who maybe only have high end FCS offers, for example, and going and developing those guys and say, "Look, stay home, play in front of family and friends um, ultimately don 't you know go elsewhere, and how many times can your you know, parents see you play and you know there 's going to be plenty of opportunity. Uh, with the new coach that comes in, um, you know, the roster is pretty balanced. Another credit to kind of Sean Elliott as well. So you're not top-heavy in one, you know, underclassman, upperclassman. Um, and, again, you still have a transfer portal in April. So, you know, you, you have a, a window here where you kind of evaluate the staff and go. But it's got to be a relentless recruiter, somebody who's super comfortable recruiting to the city of Atlanta. I think that's a big part of it. Um, and, and quite candidly, as we talked about in that line before, you know, Sean Elliott kind of being a part-time resident of Atlanta, I believe hurt recruiting ultimately. And and, uh, you got to have somebody that's familiar with the city of Atlanta is happy to live here.
0: Well, Ben uh, really appreciate the perspective and and maybe some of the unique traits that I think do make this Georgia state program uh, and this job attractive in the future. We appreciate you coming and and talking to us early on a Monday morning. Yeah. Thanks for having me fellas. Appreciate you. Well, definitely appreciative uh, for the time that Ben Moore gave us this morning, Caden, uh, a lot of great insight on this Georgia state program and, you know, obviously, fans that that follow externally other programs, you know, tend to like to knock on Georgia State, but I, I do think there are a lot of unique traits that, if exploited well, could lead to this Georgia State, you know, program being successful in the Sun Belt. And you don't have to look much farther than a recruiting base that you like to talk about in the state of Georgia. There's a lot of good football players there, and if Georgia State can find a way to begin tapping into that, this is a program that could be successful. Uh, with the right head coach in the state of Atlanta and in or city of Atlanta, state of Georgia.
1: Yeah, no, you talked about in the past when we talked about the season that Texas State just had. We kind of called them a sleeping giant in the west of this conference. I think it wouldn't be it'd be safe to say that Georgia State could be the sleeping giant in the east of this conference when you think about the ever changing college football landscape, the strengths and weaknesses that it sound like Coach Elliott had elevating this program with some of the strengths that he had as far as the performance of his team and what he was able to put on the field, but maybe getting a next head coach who can lean into some of the strengths that is untapped potential as far as this program goes, whether it is NIL, whether it is recruiting within the state of Georgia and beyond. And I think this program is in a great spot, I think, as a whole, moving forward in the future to kind of evolve and adapt with the right leader at the helm in this new age of college football, but it's also going to be a competitive field. It's not going to get any easier in the sunbelt anytime soon. So they're definitely going to have their work cut out for them as well, just because we know how the football culture has been as far as an outside perspective, coming to Georgia state games, being in that stadium and seeing what that environment is like. So definitely exciting in this future for Georgia state, for sure, as they get a new head coach and a new leader at the helm.
0: Kane, I think it's interesting, you know, as we got into this trending topic series, the coaching carousel and the changes at the head coaching position was a topic that we bandied about. We decided we weren't going to do it and then we end our series on Thursday and then this news breaks and we decide you know what we've got to talk about it and I think the reason that we decided that it was important to talk about the coaching carousel is the you know we are seeing you know the state of the head coaching position kind of change in front of our eyes and just this offseason we've seen obviously five head coaches that have moved on you know four for for different jobs one Terry Bowden at ULM that was fired he's been replaced now uh, by Brian Vincent but I think Coach Elliott was shocking to a lot of people seeing him step back from a head coaching role into now what will be a tight end coaching role at South Carolina. And it further just speaks to some of the changes that we're seeing in this position. The head coaching position is no longer as glamorous of a role as it was in the past, simply due to a lot of the things that we've discussed in this trending topic series, the calendar, the transfer portal, and many others. No longer is this an easy job, uh, and it never was. but. Uh, Is this necessarily the job that that everyone wants to have?
1: Yeah, it's fascinating. I think when you talk about all of these changes across college football that we've talked about, whether it's the calendar, recruiting, the transfer portal, NIL, all that kind of stuff, we never really thought of coaching being a residual effect from it, but it's definitely being impacted heavily. And I think that starts at the very top of this profession. When you see guys like Nick Saban retire, Jim Harbaugh go to the NFL level, we're not going to know how much this new changing landscape and their kind of job title and kind of what you have to do as a head coach now, has an impact on that. But you have to imagine it at least has some impact. And I think when you see a coach like Chip Kelly at UCLA take a step down and want to be in his own conference at Ohio State calling plays, that kind of le- leaves the door open for Group of Five and Power Five movement movement going anywhere you want between coaches maybe taking a step down to go at a bigger school or coaches going to the NFL level because they don't really want to deal with this nuance of the game. You talk about a coach I've like mentioned before in Orion Day and Eliya Trinkwitz at Missouri who is kind of taken a step back from his play calling duties for the first time in his career, both head coaches. And now they're having to do more of the CEO role to where recruiting in the NIL and the portal stuff has just become so more relevant and so more impactful for coaches. And a lot of coaches didn't necessarily get into the profession to do that. They want to call plays. That's the best part of this job is being able to mold and shape young men and put them on the field and have them produce the best they can when Saturdays come for kickoff. So I think we're seeing it now at the Sunbelt level, we've seen coaches make all different kinds of moves in every different direction. I'm happy to talk about them with you. And I think they're not all created equally for sure, but I think it's all a reflection of these changing times in college football and maybe coaches at every level, especially the Sunbelt as well, realizing, hey, It's not a secret that at the group of five level, every coach wants to get to that power five level. There's certain jobs that are going to have a a level of appeal and cachet that are going to attract the attention of any coach in the country, but that path to getting there now seems more different than ever. And it's interesting watching these different head coaches make different moves accordingly with these new changes in this new era of college football.
0: Well, and Kane, I think that's a, a great segue into this, this next topic of conversation relating to the coaching carousel. And that is the fact that not every head coaching defection is the same. I mean, last year you think back to to jamie chadwell leaving for liberty and there was a lot of you know consternation in the group of five about what some had viewed as a lateral move but when you simply look at the salary figures a, a three million dollar raise uh that is not the the same move a, a, as some of these other you know job changes you think of john Summerall leaving for tulane much the same there's private money at that institution but then you know, you look at a Kane Womack, which I think was a little bit surprising, him leaving a head coaching job to then go become the defensive coordinator at Alabama. But let's be honest, most people are going to to make that leap if given uh, the opportunity. You look at Signetti going to Indiana. I think that is kind of one of those more normal changes where you see a group of five head coach becoming uh, a power five head coach. It may be a, a slightly lesser program. And then obviously this most recent one with, with Sean Elliott, and I think that was the one that shocked people. but. The one thing we can say is not every head coaching change or decision uh, is created equal in this new landscape.
1: Yeah, like I mentioned before, I think every coach is aspiring to be at the highest level of college football possible. You think about the Alabamas, the, S- the high-end SEC programs, the Texas, the Oregons, all those places that pretty much all of the head coaches that denied or didn't show interest in that Alabama job, those kind of jobs. That's what everyone aspires to get towards in this field, the cream of the crop. And I think in the past couple of years, the way to get to that was being a group of five head coach or being a Sunbelt head coach, winning your conference, having tremendous success, and then getting that interview and getting that opportunity to make it to that next step. But I think now we're seeing with this changing college football landscape, there's different ways to get there. And I think if you're a head coach, maybe doesn't want to deal with having one of those great conference rosters and winning a conference championship and having other teams through the portal trying to take some of your players having to deal with lesser of an athletic budget and less of a salary you're seeing some of the moves we're seeing now where they might seem like lateral moves when you talk about a coach Chowell or coach Summerall when you think about the budget and you think about the progression of becoming a head coach at that top top level it's all the same and then the other side of that is when you're talking about a coach like Kane Womack And a coach like Sean Elliott moving on to the SEC conference, not necessarily being a head coach, but taking a position coach, taking a coordinator job there, getting your foot in the door at the power five level and having a job where you're not a head coach and you don't have to deal with this stuff as much when you talk about nil the portal all of that kind of stuff that's now changed in college football so i think right now when you look at the jobs in college football they all have a lot of different descriptions they all have a lot of different budgets they have a lot of, a lot of different situations to get to that top level and it's clear now with seeing how these different coaches have moved within the sunbelt and out of the sunbelt that there's different ways to get to where you want to go there's different jobs that are attractive for different reasons and that's a lot to do with a lot of the topics i think we've talked about in this series
0: yeah, it is definitely, you know, a fascinating time in college football. I, I think the the norms are, are changing and they're changing uh very quickly. So it's certainly uh worth paying attention to. Kane, I think, you know, one of the biggest things that, you know, for fans of the Sun Belt, even the group of five as a whole, is is this the new normal? And I think when you look at, you know, head coaching defections, obviously we mentioned five of the fourteen teams in the Sun Belt will have new head coaches this year. That's forty percent of the league almost. Uh, Do you expect this to become the norm? Are we going to see that amount of turnover not only at the Sunbelt level but at the group of five level yearly?
1: No, I don't expect to, le- expect to see it yearly like we talked about at the top. I think this is going to be a watershed moment going into a new era of college football that will be remembered in history. And I think we saw a lot of change as a result of that. You talk about a lot of the changes at the top of college football, and they all trickle down. I mean, when you talk about a guy like Nick Saban retiring, Kalen DeBoer taking that job, Jed Fish taking that job, someone else take like the Arizona job, there's just a lot of trickle down. And I think we're seeing that now at a lot of different levels of college football coming down to the Sun belt as well and affecting and impacting that level of ball as well. So I think as far as the era of college football we're in right now, this is going to be a moment where we see more coach turnover than ever as everyone tries to prep for these changes and figure out where their role is in this new college football landscape. Do I Am I a head coach that wants to stay at the college level because of these changes or go to the NFL? Do I want to become a coordinator at a bigger school or stay at the group of five level? We're seeing coaches in real time have to make these decisions and make these impactful decisions moving forward. And I think In the future, we're going to continue seeing head coaches kind of know where their stance is in this new college football landscape. Am I a guy who saw myself as a play caller and being a head coach was what it was, and now I just want to be a coordinator who calls plays. Every coach is getting in where they fit in now. Sunbelt coaches are now invigorated now with new coaching talent that are going to be proving themselves. So it's going to be exciting to see the Sunbelt in this new era with all these head coaches that have joined the conference now. But I think moving forward, we're not going to see nearly as much turnover next season or the season after that, especially in the Sunbelt. I think overall, college football as a whole.
0: Yeah, Kane. Okay, I would tend to agree with you. I think that, again, this is this has been a watershed type of offseason. This is not a normal offseason. I don't think this will become uh, the expectation moving forward, but it certainly has opened some eyes. And I think I want to put a cap on this conversation by simply talking about you know, a, a point that Commissioner Gill brought up in that conversation that we had with him a couple weeks back, and that's leaving the program better than you found it. And I think Coach Elliott, uh, who we started this conversation talking about, uh, is an example of that. Ben talked about just the the better culture in terms of on the field. Uh, he talked about increased wins. You think of a guy uh, like Jamie Chadwell, like John Summerall, like Kurt Signetti. The list goes on and on. The coaching hires in the Sun Belt lately have left the programs better than they were found. It has elevated the type of candidate that is then able to be rehired the next time around. And I think that's what we want to see as fans uh, continually is that when these new head coaches take these roles that then when they leave in a couple of years, which will continue to happen, that these programs have been left in a better spot than they were found.
1: Yeah, there's no question, though. I think when you look at the desires of head coaches. If you want to be a college head coach, if you're an FCS head coach, if you're a position coach at the power five level or a coordinator at any level of college football and you aspire to be a head coach, why would you not want to be at any of these sunbelt programs that we've seen in the last couple of years really get elevated and really get put on a platform where you know if you're winning, you have success, you're winning at the premier, one of the best group of five conferences and conferences at large. When you look at competition throughout the league, you're going into programs that have proven that coaches can come in and have success and take programs to new heights talked about James Madison, you talk about Coastal Carolina, you talk about Troy, that Coach Summerall has now left behind. These are programs that all have the potential to win the conference, to be champions, and have put themselves in unique positions all individually to where there's no question that if you want to prove your worth as a coach in the college football space, the Sunbelt's a great place to do it, just given the resources you will have, how you can potentially elevate those resources, elevate your own roster, and really prove on a national stage that you have the chops. So I think it's going to be fascinating to watch all these young, hungry head coaches, a lot of them we have in the league, really try to prove themselves this year. And they have definitely the resources and the tools do it. And It just makes me even more excited about this college football season. That's a, way, a ways away, but just excited to continue to te- dive into these programs and see what these head coaches' visions are and what they want to see with their, with their schools in the next couple months and going into the season.
0: Yeah, Caden, I think to your point, I think 2024 in the Sunbelt, it feels more wide open than ever. There's a lot of uh, potential changes to the calculus that uh, will affect who ultimately comes out on top of the Sunbelt. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode. We hope you all enjoyed this conversation. Don't forget, we're coming back on Thursday. Caden and I are planning a a conversation that will dissect some of the Sunbelt participants in the upcoming NFL Combine. We'll talk about the Sunbelt players represented and and what they need to do to better position themselves uh, as we begin to look ahead to the NFL draft that's coming up in April. But that's going to do it for us here at the furry and Smith podcast. Before you go, here's one thing you can do for us. Tell a friend about this show. Help us help you by continuing to grow this show into the premier destination for Sunbelt football fans so for Kaden Smith Richmond Weaver and Brett Jemis I'm Noah Freire thanks for spending more time with us today we really appreciate it and uh, we'll talk to you again on Thursday